My name is Elizabeth Lewis, and I'm the owner and CEO of Detroit Mom. As a teen mom, I know firsthand the feeling of isolation and the fears that come at different stages of motherhood. I spent half the time wondering where to find community and the other half dreaming of a way to create that community for myself and the women around me. No mother should experience change and challenges alone. I created this community and podcast to make sure women in my community are never alone. Welcome to the Unfiltered Mom Podcast. The intention of this podcast is to make sure you have a voice and your story is being heard. Hey friends, this episode was recorded before the COVID crisis and the opinions expressed do not represent the current climate of the country. Make sure you stay tuned for more current episodes. Welcome to the Unfiltered Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Lewis, owner of Detroit Mom. Today, we are talking about diversity, something that um, I don't think it's talked about enough, especially um, for us being a site called Detroit Mom. Um, We all identify different. Um, Some of us live in the suburbs. Some of us live Detroit proper. Some of us live in the country of the suburbs, (laughs) if that's how you want to put it. Um, and so today we're kind of talking about, um, we have a couple women here with us today, uh, Monique and Tiffany, who live in Detroit proper, whereas myself, um, G. Young, um, Jasmine, and Kristen, and Kimberly all live in the suburbs of Detroit. So we wanted to kind of talk about um, issues that women of the city have um speaking when i say city detroit proper talking about those putting it out there kind of perspective from women that live in the suburbs women that live in the city how they feel about things that are happening happening gentrification um people coming into the city trying to make the city great when um the people of the city thought the city was great to begin with so kind of going over those issues and really diving into it and keeping an an open conversation and a respectful conversation because we all see things a little bit differently. And I think a lot of listeners just don't know. Um, nobody's talked about it. You're either afraid to ask somebody that lives in the city or you're just afraid to have the, I guess, have the conversation, whether you're white or you're black. You're not out there openly asking each other what's going on in the city. So let's jump right into, we're going to jump into obviously something that's in the news that's super, unless you're living under a rock and don't know what's going on, gentrification is something that's happening in the city of Detroit. And I know it's affecting the people of the city who live there currently. So my question to you guys is, Monique and um, Tiffany specifically, um, we had this conversation the other night. We talked about one of the big things that's bothering you happening in the city. So I'll let you kind of tell our readers our listeners, um, about the things that are bothering you and we can kind of get perspective. You can get perspective because I, like I said, I think people in the suburbs might not have any clue. Okay. Um, this is Monique speaking. As far as gentrification is concerned, I'm not, um, one of those people that's just totally against it because it does have positive attributions specifically to stimulating the economy of the city. The issue that I have is that along with gentrification, comes uh, sometimes a diluting of the uniqueness of Detroit and what it already has to offer. Um, 
Detroit is, you know, known for being a town, just a, just a, uh, I would say like a black renaissance, um, so to speak. The music, the um, entertainment, the uh, way of dressing, um, and the, just the way that like things are done. And I feel that because there are a lot of people now that live in the city that are not from the city, they are trying to create their own level of comfort by either starting businesses or inviting um, businesses in that speak their language. And I just feel that it's unfortunate that they could not have a level of sensitivity to say, okay, what's already, what is everyone already drawn to here? What can we do to um, make it better? What can we do to uh, back what's already here? Um, as opposed to how can we reinvent this to make it more comfortable for us. And that's a problem for me because, I mean, I've lived a ton of different places. I've lived, I have actually lived in the country, like no stop, like about four years in college. Um, Where was that? Uh, Wilberforce, Ohio. It's about 40 miles outside oh, of Dayton. Oh, okay. Like not even a gas station. Oh, man. I grew up like that. Um, and then I've also lived in a gated community. And then I also have lived... Um, and some rough parts of Detroit growing up. So uh, when I made a decision to move back to Michigan, um, at first I did move to the, to the suburbs because the recession had happened. I was not sure of, you know, what was considered somewhat safe anymore uh, or what the housing market was going to be like. So um, initially I did move to the suburbs. I lived in Southfield for about almost six years. But after a while, um, I guess maybe I just had this FOMO. <laughs> because uh, I was just like, you know, I'm a Detroiter. I'm from Detroit. Um, I want to be part of the energy. I want to be part of um, the things that are happening. All these people are coming to my city and making all these great things pop. And here I am on the outside. I need to be in there and be a part of that, making some type of impact. So that was my driving force was moving back to Detroit. And, um, yeah, that, that's probably the biggest issue for me is not implementing an example I gave is, you know, for someone, sometimes people from the suburbs don't understand because they feel like, oh, well, we're bringing all these things here. People are spending money in the city. Um, now it's more diversity. Um, but diversity in one way. It's not diversity in the school. School system is still pretty bad. Um, and in the people that are moving to the city aren't sending their kids to schools in the city, you know. Um, so it's just like someone coming into your home and saying, you know, all white will look better in this room. And when you came off from work, they just changed everything. It looks cleaner. It's more welcoming. You know, it has a cleaner look. But maybe that's not what you wanted. Maybe you just wanted to add some artwork to the room. Or maybe you just wanted to add some new throw pillows and a nice rug. To really good analogy. To, you know. And that's exactly what's happening in Detroit right now. And you feel like the investors that are currently investing in the city, that they could have come in and invested in the businesses that were already there. <coughs> the black business owners Correct. put more into them. And I think even for myself living in the suburbs, um, having worked in the city, I appreciate both. Um, I want to know about those things, but I think that it's just not something that's talked about. Like you wouldn't know where the happening places are to eat that are small mom and pop owned businesses, because you obviously hear about the ones that are up and coming and, hip and cool and stuff like that. Um, whereas I know Tiffany kind of went into, you talked about businesses that have been pushed out of the city, black owned businesses that the city was great 
before they came in to try to make the city great, right? Yeah, absolutely. Specifically, we were talking about um, Henry the Hatter. Um, Henry the, the Hatter was a staple in the city of Detroit, downtown Detroit. Um, 1893, 126 years, okay? Oh, my gosh. Um, President Eisenhower wore a hat from Henry the Hatter at his inauguration. So that's so much history for that. And when the investors came in and everything, this staple in the city, you know, when um, it's a wedding or it's something going on, it's like, I'm going to Henry the Hatter, I'm going to get my hat or city slicker shoes that used to be down, you know. It was, you knew where you were going to go to get what we would call in Detroit suited and booted, you know. I love it. That's what you did. And that was a part of the heartbeat of the community. And when these investors came in, his rent skyrocketed and he got pushed out. Now, granted, he was able to relocate to the Eastern Market area, but that's the whole essence of what Monique was talking about. Not even looking at what you had, that gem. That is a historic company. Why not pour into that to help glorify what it is instead of pushing it out? And those are the things that, as a person from Detroit, it makes you frustrated because we have memories attached to that. You know, oh, I went to this place with my grandfather, and I remember watching him try on this hat and me playing around, all those different types of things. And so when you come in and you, you know, put a new face on, you're stripping away memories from the community, you know, that they want to share with their their children and their grandchildren and all those things. And it's like, why not give those businesses the opportunity to be even greater in the midst of what you're bringing to the table? Because I love what I see. My husband loves to get in the car and just drive. That's our thing. You know, date night usually consists of us driving around downtown Detroit. And we joked because it's like, you know, we grew up in the 90s. You know, we were in high schools in the 90s, and we're, downtown Detroit was the happening thing. But I'm going to tell you what I didn't see in the 90s downtown Detroit was, you know, a young white girl on a scooter riding up Woodward. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. That was not, I see. <laughs> totally not happening in the 90s. Yeah. But now you see it everywhere, and it's like, oh, it's cool, but... Are we losing the essence yep. of what Detroit is? The unique portions the about unique it, right? Portions yeah. of it to become what someone else, I someone else's idea of what we should be. Yeah. You know, I remember growing up and hearing my grandmother and I was talking about going to Hudson's downtown. All Ugh. these things. Oh my gosh, Hudson's. Yes, I you know that. of what Detroit was and what I see Detroit now does not represent. Any of those types of things, right. that nostalgia of what Detroit once was, you know, I love what I'm seeing. I do love the businesses. I do. I work downtown Detroit. I like that I can go for a walk and go to Campus Marshes and run to the Nike store. That is cool, but I just don't like to have to lose some of those historic, unique things that is new, that makes new, Detroit. New isn't always better. Right. You guys, I, so this is Jasmine. I'm African American female from um, the east side of Detroit. And I have to say, I'm kind of torn because I remember, um, of course, hearing my parents talk about how downtown used to be. And 
how they used to take the bus to different things and just all these different stories. My dad is one of 18. They all grew up in Detroit. We used to hear it all the time in growing up. But I have to say, similar to what Monique shared about um, leaving and coming back, all of Detroit wasn't great. You know, there was, there are certain things that needed to happen. And I feel like it's not as comfortable as we'd like it to preserve some of the classic history. But I don't really look to investors to maintain that. I guess it's my my thought. And I know that um, there's a responsibility as an investor in the community that, yes, you should be mindful of that. Yes, you should pour back into the community for sure. But I'm not looking for them to preserve the Detroit that my parents once spoke about. And I guess for me, I look more to the community for that. And I think there, on some levels, between the people that I've talked to and the things that I saw, some of the reasons why we moved out of the city, um, even the community itself just wanting to find out ways that they could do some of the things they're seeing now, the resources were not always necessarily there for that to happen. So now that the resources are coming in, things are being built up, I almost feel like it's on the community in these type of conversations for us to have that responsibility in check to make sure that some of that legacy is preserved, but I'm not looking for the folks that are writing the big checks to do it. You know, I'm looking for the Kickstarters that are going to save the the Harry the Hatters, you know, and the people in the community, they're going to write the articles and take the pictures I frequent one of my favorite places. It always has been Easter Market. That is an environment where they really try to preserve, you know, some of the older styles, the fields, the stores that used to be. There are stores that I go to down there that my dad used to go to when he was a kid. And I look for my father to share those stories with me, to tell me those places, and for me to go and frequent those businesses with my money in order to maintain that legacy and not for the folks that are coming in and converting things to make it newer and more hip. And I just don't think that there's a one size that fits all. Like, I feel like we love Detroit, but we left because we felt like things were getting bad. But in my heart, I don't feel like that means that we're any less devoted to the city. And even within the community, I feel like as someone that moved out and lived in the suburbs, there were my personal experience was backlash because we moved out and we were trying to be white and we moved to a white neighborhood and all these different things. But we love the city just as much as the people who stayed. We made a choice based on what we saw and what was best for our family. So I think all in all, like, I understand the arguments. I probably could go back and forth with either one, but I almost feel like they're duly necessary yes. in order to see a bigger and better Detroit. I never want to lose the essence, but I don't want it to be the way it was when I would go into the city and I didn't see anything. And I saw a lot of people who had been in business a very long time, but it wasn't growing and it wasn't being kept up and the resources weren't available. And there's several layers I know with systematic oppression. I understand all of that argument. I'm just stating that in order to get to what I would love to see in my mind, I really want to see both. So um, so what, what, what would be some of your suggestions? You said that you put the responsibility on the community. Mm-hmm. What what are what are some of your suggestions of what you would expect the community to do to push back? Because you've already established that the resources they don't have the resources, right? But I mean the resources. I think that we live in a different age and time. The internet is amazing. We have Kickstarters. Our parents didn't have that. I've heard about rent parties. Like 
back in the day. Now there's so many different resources, ways. There are even, to be honest, I've bought, get, gone to conferences and meetings where people are actually very conscious of this issue and they're specifically looking for businesses that they can save. There are investors, angel investors that want to actually, I just feel like we have more resources available than ever before. And the responsibility would be to maintain holding that voice, holding that authenticity, um, sharing, you know, the types of businesses and stories, getting behind the brands and talking to the owners, finding out some of these personal stories from some of these families so people are more invested and wanting to come and spend their dollars using videography and telling visual stories so people can see the real elements of how things were started, older pictures. A lot of the times I just feel like the marketing isn't there. Like I know because of word of mouth, because my father went or culturally it's just known. Mm -hmm. But the big picture and how that message could be shared, there's so many tools that are available, whether it's uploading something free on YouTube, a Save Detroit campaign, and really just getting to the bottom of what is happening for these businesses that are saying they're coming into these issues and what are some solutions and bridging the gap. I think we have the ability to do that more now than ever, but I wouldn't rely on someone who's coming in with a separate agenda to lead the charge. Right. It's basically what I'm saying. I can totally, this is Tiffany here, I can totally agree with you, um, with your viewpoint. Um, and there are resources for small business owners or, you know, people who want to start businesses in Detroit. Um, there's like Motor City, I believe it's Motor City Match. Mm -hmm. And they have multiple different ways. If you're looking for a building or if you already have a building in Detroit and you need funding to renovate or you need help, you know, with a business plan, they do, I think, quarterly cycles of where you can apply for these grants and these fundings. And if you go and look them up, you'll see multiple businesses, not just in Detroit, downtown Detroit, but with throughout the Detroit community as a whole. You know, you have so many different areas of Detroit that has the potential to be great again. If you think about um, like Grand River, um, mm -hmm. um, Grand River, Greenfield kind of area. Okay. I don't know if you have like what used to be Mammoth and all those things. That's a great strip. You know, and so I agree, we can't just blame the investors, you know, for coming in and, you know, just, oh, we're going to make it look the way we want to look. Um, I do think we have to take responsibility and use the resources we have, the Internet, you know, do your research. If you have a business and you want to stay in Detroit and you don't want to be pushed out, mm -hmm. do what you need to do to make your business viable because the resources are there. You just might have to put a little bit of work behind it because our community wants it. We want those things that look yeah. like us, that feel like us. And when I say us, just to be honest, I'm talking about a, particularly the black community because right now the, the essence of Detroit for many years has been predominantly black, you know? And so that's what we, we know Detroit to be. You know, can I say something? So I I did an event and there was a group it's called the Michigan Roundtable and they really uh, dug deep into the history of Detroit and the history of Detroit really outlines beyond my own personal experience, the African-American experience is Detroit is really known to be an immigrant city right mm -hmm. and culturally speaking when you look back at all the redlining the segregation 
there were Detroit was a melting pot before the transitions and the changes took place. And a lot of those subcultures are still there. They're much smaller and they do not have as large of a voice. But it was just really interesting to hear systematically how the separation happened, how um, there were a lot of Poland, you know, people that lived here. There were a lot of people that came to work in factories and how that brought a lot of jobs. Like the same stories were kind of repeated over and over. And I think culturally you just don't hear a lot of the the beauty that underlines the different cultures that are connected to Detroit and really made an impact for so many different varieties of different people. And I just think those type of stories, like for instance, the Michigan Roundtable, they do not have any videos or they it's like live, huge, large scale pictures of what Detroit used to be and what happened over transition. Never heard of it in my life. Um, was able to see it in person of Lyman and Color, asked them about their marketing and their branding to get it out to masses to really share these different stories of how all these things came about through the black experience, through what happened with all the transitions with um, the autom- automation. They just, they, they haven't invested in the ability to really share stories like that. So I think just even doing strategic partnerships or hearing about these type of organizations to really just educate yourself on the history and more so the responsibility, particularly for something like Detroit Moms, is when you attach the word Detroit to your brand, then that also attaches the responsibility to want to partner with things like Motor City Match, right, to bring that type of education. I'm not saying all-inclusive because you still have to have sponsorships and work with people, but I am saying just having these type of discussions, opening up the conversation, being conscious of allowing and putting yourself in partnerships with people who are doing that sort of work and being open to things like the Michigan Roundtable to know the history. Like to me, there's so many different levels. There's never going to be a one inclusive answer, but I think just having a willingness and an open heart to be receptive to different perspectives at different organizations like that is a great start. And this community, I think, absolutely has a responsibility in that too. And I see it. I just want to see it on a bigger scale. So it's not as um, that they're having a small voice and that the larger corporations have a bigger voice to really share all the great things that they're doing because they're, like Juanita said, are a lot of great things that are happening that we just never hear about. And those are the things that I really want to have amplified. Um, I agree. This is Jiang. I um, grew up with parents who had businesses in Detroit proper, my extended family. Um, so I had that personal connection to want to go into the city that my parents worked in um, and want to learn more about exploring downtown. All of those things is something that I grew up, even though I grew up in the suburbs. Um, but I had to seek that out myself. And I don't know that I would have had that comfort level of doing it because I didn't have knowledge. I didn't have, like, outside of, you know, meeting with my parents' customers that I would meet in the store. I, I didn't have friends. I didn't have family that had that innate knowledge, whether, you know, through family or through their own living experiences. Um, but I had enough of a connection to want to know more, to want to be involved, to want to explore, and to want to know the city. Um, and so I do agree that, um, especially in the age that we're in um, the bringing awareness part. Like, yes, obviously the huge investors have a plethora of resources, um, but even on a smaller scale of, you know, Detroit residents that are in the city, even in their personal 
you know, micro circles of people getting that messaging out there. There's no way that I would have ever heard that story if I wasn't sitting in a room here with mm-hmm. Tiffany, right? Yeah. Um, it's just one of those things that, like, I think all of us are innately aware of what we know. And in this group of, you know, conscious women who want to tr- stay on top of it, we still have our gaps, right? Like this example of me not having that awareness. Um, and so I do think that there is a huge lack of city awareness, Detroit awareness, messaging, information, so much stuff that people of the masses outside of Detroit can learn about, to know more about it, and to want to you know, spend their time and be involved and want to be there. Whereas without that connection or intrigue or curiosity or whatever it is that like opens our eyes, it's never going to happen, right? It's either going to be one extreme or the other. I go to the city, I enjoy going to the city, or I'm never going to go there. And I think it, it's finding that balance um, as someone who lives outside of the, outside of the city but does enjoy spending well I think there's this perception too is I think that when a white person from the suburbs comes in and they want to learn about something or do good or do something for like oh well you don't understand what it was like or you don't understand what it's like or you're trying to fix things even though it's we're trying to do this in partnership with somebody else or we want to help um I think there's this negative portion to it. And these are things I hear. Obviously, we deal with um, both black, white, anything, right? Obviously, Asian, so many different people. But we all have our individual stories when it comes to diversity or the city. Or um, for myself, coming from, I literally came from an extremely small town. There was nobody else. It was all white. It was solely Wait, so as I grew up, obviously everything we saw about Detroit was on TV. Um, my dad worked for the Foundry, so my dad had black friends. Um, so I wasn't necessarily raised just around white people. So when I made the decision to move to the city or to work in the city, it was because I wanted more for my daughter. I wanted her to grow up in an environment that wasn't just white people, where it wasn't um, she was scared of the city because that's that's how it is. Nobody where I came from, it would it would be rare if somebody would go to Wayne State to go to a college in the city. It was people are going to Michigan State or U of M or Western or Central or Grand Valley, somewhere that was comfortable and not scary because, like you said, the stuff that we hear or people hear on TV about Detroit, you know, if you think about it when you go to another city and people are like, oh, where do you live? And you're like, Detroit. Because no one's going to say, hey, I live in Farmington Hills, Michigan. They're going to be like, oh, okay. Where is that? Yeah, mm-hmm. where is that? Mm-hmm. And if you say to her, like, oh, my gosh, are there gunshots everywhere? And you're just like, well, yeah. no. And actually, I work in the hospital, and a gunshot looks like a pencil. St- like, you were stabbed with a pencil, like, most of the time, unless it's a shotgun. But um, it's just one of those things where people have this, like, it's like, Gunfights and like stabbings and like war is just pouring everywhere and blood on the streets. And it's like, well, it's really not like that, though. And so I think that it's getting a little better. And I've noticed even when I moved to the city, I'd be like, oh, I live in Farmington Hills, not realizing nobody knows what Farmington Hills is. And so now I do have to say I am proud to say after working in the city, working for Detroit Medical Center, I am proud to say, yeah, I want to be a part of Detroit. I want to learn what issues affect black women in the city? 
And I know that's not always the normal. And I know us, the, the people sitting here want to have this conversation and we want to find common ground and not always being a black versus white issue. But how can we come together um, and how can Detroit mom specifically help affect change where it's maybe we need to do a better job. And I know that we need to do a better job educating suburban women, um, obviously, because we service women. Um, what issues black women face in the city or white women? Because I think there's white women I mean, that this live is, in the city, yeah, too. Detroit it just doesn't play a vital role with the community that, that you've grown being a, a resource and an avenue to get that awareness out there. Yeah, and I think it, we have the ability to do it. Like the stuff, Monique, that you talked about, I wouldn't have any idea. And obviously, when I, I dropped a meal off to Tiffany and I was like, oh, my gosh, you live right down the street from Sinai Grace. <laughs> like I loved personally going into the city because there's homeless people where I live. There is homeless people right in Farmington, like near our downtown area. Very nice area. There's they're They're everywhere. And I find myself doing a lot more defending even when I go places like Chicago. You drive out of the city. Those are the outskirts who are not stopping. It's the same with the city, right? The inner the inner portion's great. There's all these great things happening, but there are certain areas of the city I don't even know. As black women, do you, would you stop there? You know, it's so funny because I, we kind of had this conversation about you, Elizabeth, stopping on Six Mile in wow. like Greenfield or whatever. This is before I knew. You know, better. getting gas by yeah. yourself. You know, and living in that area. You know, my husband is like. You don't stop and get gas. Now, this is the thing, because you don't want to live in fear. But at the same time, you know, in that area, my husband has been attempted. Uh, someone attempted to rob my husband uh -huh. and actually shot at him. Uh -huh. It was, you know, a whole big thing. And that has happened more than once. And so because of that. You have to be conscious anywhere you go, suburbs included, but you have to be consciously mindful of your surroundings and the potential danger that you could put yourself in. Yeah. You know, it's not that I have to be scared of the city. You know, I live in the city, but you want to be smart. You got to use some street smarts because at the same time, you know, <laughs> I, you know, it's so... <laughs> I'm going to say something, but it's so funny. This is what we used to say, you know, like Detroit, you know, you might have to worry about getting robbed, but out in the suburb, you might end up in somebody's freezer. Oh, my and gosh. And that is crazy. But this was the con con the thought of like, you know, yeah, you might get robbed because they just really trying to feed their kids or whatever. Oh, but, but crime happens. Actually. But, you know, you might get in the suburbs and somebody want to do something crazy. Well, most serial killers serial are white, right? That's the, that's that stigma stereotype. <laughs> Anyone but, watch so, Criminal Minds? Come on now. So this is going to be my next question, which you kind of already touched on. Um, and this is a question out of curiosity, right? Um, I was, even though I had pretty much my entire family were businesses, this, business owners in Detroit, not downtown, but proper Detroit. Um, but the messaging that was always given to us was you do not go downtown. Downtown Detroit mm -hmm. is dangerous. You don't go downtown. So my curiosity as I was growing up and you know experiencing the city myself and I was lucky enough to not have any negative experiences so I don't have that personal viewpoint of it um, culturally speaking I guess what is the messaging in black communities whether you grow up in the suburbs or in the city like what what are, what are you told growing up 
because we are generationally the same, right? So what are you told by your families? And so, you know, what's interesting is for me, like, I grew up in Detroit. I, you know, went through DPS. I graduated from, you know, Detroit public school system. Mm -hmm. Um, I took the bus to school. You know, I took the bus, the Evergreen bus. Like, I think it's not just necessarily a Detroit thing, but times have changed across the board where I, at 14 and 15 years old was, you know, I was getting on the Plymouth bus to Evergreen, taking it to school, whereas there's no way I would let my daughter do that at 14 and 15 now today, Mm -hmm. because as a whole, things are just not as safe as they used to be. You know, Um, we used to ride our bikes, just, you know, our kid, when we grew up, I played outside, we could go two, three blocks over, the person two, three blocks over knew what street I belonged on. And if I got caught, they knew who to call or how to get to someone. We don't have that anymore. So I didn't grow up with being told so much, don't go here, don't go downtown. We did all those things. But now I find myself with my children, so this is what you don't do. And and I don't think that's just a Detroit thing. No. I think that is just across the board, we have become more unsafe and we're not connected as much anymore you we now you can live on a block for 20 years i mean well let's say not 20 let's say five years and barely know your neighbor Mm -hmm. whereas you know growing up you knew the neighbors down the street Mm -hmm. you know you've been to dinner here you don't see that happening as much i think i agree i think too culturally speaking before like the flip side to this conversation is um, having conversations with people and then saying, uh, what is it like to go to school with all those white people? Right. Oh because we were in a predominantly white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So those conversations came up a lot now. We're now currently it's not as a big deal, but growing up, not necessarily just in my household, but I would say culturally to answer your question. Mm-hmm. I know people who and this is why it does not really bother me when I hear comments or the generalization that white women do not go to downtown Detroit. That doesn't necessarily bother me the way that I think that other people are bothered or offended. And I'll tell you the difference for me is more so, um, I had black friends that went to all black schools, all black high schools, graduated and went to an HBCU because they were steered in a direction of you you stick with your own you're safer with your own so if you go to a historically black college you stay you know at a school within where you grow up where people know you where they look out for you you stay where you're comfortable right and then there's some families that push your children to be i want my children to be around the world i want them to have exposure so that intentionality i saw it both ways And I understood it. I understood going down south, there were certain cities and certain places we didn't go to because it was known to be KKK. Certain areas that you just didn't stop to. My people are from deep down south, small town. We just didn't go to certain stores. There's just certain things that you know, right, culturally, even in Michigan. The conversation, and Monique, I hope you do bring it up, but if you decide not to, (laughs) from that conversation, when we were just talking about it, the difference between country and city and just what that looks like in that dynamic. For me, I completely get someone who's from the country saying, I was told never to go to the city. It's not safe. Because the flip side for me was, 
I was told to not go to Brighton Howell because the KKK is out there. And that's not an area that we go to. That's the area we drive through. So really, it's a conversation about the fear of the unknown. And, and I think it's for both. It is for and both. Black. And if you have not been exposed to anyone that you have a relationship with, and I always go back to that as my center. I'm in this room because I have relationships with these women. I'm having this conversation and I had this exposure because of the relationship I had with my parents. If I have not had a relationship with anyone from Howell or Brighton, and I've been told as a young child there are certain areas you don't go to, I'm not going to volunteer on a Saturday to go to those areas. I'm just not, right? Mm -hmm. Now, maybe if they created some type of welcoming environment for African-American people, and I started seeing African-American people on scooters and how, you know, it might be a different conversation. I don't know. But my point is, I'm not going to put myself in an uncomfortable situation if the whole entire time that I've been raised and when I saw something opposite. And I think that comes back to relationship. It comes to discernment wherever you go. If you get certain vibes when you go into places, we just, we did not go. And there are people that I feel like that fear the discernment, your experience, it's just like a big melting pot. Even when you were talking about, Kim, like the world and like traveling, I like to think that I have this world view, but I've never gone to a third world country where people do not have water, right? And that might open my eyes to a whole different picture of what the hood and the ghetto and all these different things when I get those type of exposures. But that's what I want for my child. So for my parents, they wanted me to have exposure to different backgrounds, we got that from the suburbs. They still wanted me to be true to my roots and my my culture. So they made sure to tell me certain things and to take me to places like Harry the Hatter. But for my child, I want him to have a worldly view. So now I want to travel outside the country and do things. There's so many different levels to this is my point in this whole conversation. Well, you go to a third world country. It doesn't matter whether you're black, white, purple, blue, brown. Like you are living the same experience that your white neighbor black neighbor next door is living i am but the thing that i think that in these type of conversations is very important is just because a exists doesn't mean that b is not just as real yeah right like just because i'm able to travel or get exposure to these different things does not mean that what's happening in detroit for the people of the city of detroit is not just as real for it's sure. real for them because it's their reality so for me it's just learning to expose myself to these different things and being open but just because one one doesn't trump the other. And I think a lot of times in different conversations, and it's like, well, it's not that bad in Detroit. At least you have water. At least you have this. At least you, it's all this like comparison game. And it's like, that's not what this is about. I'm from Detroit. I was raised in Detroit. I also moved from Detroit. I also traveled to other places from Detroit. I will always advocate for different things to be positive in Detroit. But that doesn't take away from the experiences that other people have, the gentrification that's happening in other areas, or the fact that investors at the end of the day just want their money, right? Uh, no matter where you go. And that's where I swing <coughs> back to the cultural for the city. I don't look for investors to maintain the culture that I saw. I look for the people in the city and organizations that attach themselves to the city to carry that responsibility. So I guess my question is, because I, I see it too, like I... Obviously, white people, there are the same things happening in the suburbs where people, I know a woman who has seven children, can't feed them, um, different things like that, that at the end of the day, realizing, yes, these issues are Universal. in the city, yeah, but they're also happening in the suburbs. And it's not just to black communities or white communities. Like, 
they're happening to all of these people. And I think that we get so caught up in what our parents, you know, what your parents told you about white people, what my parents <laughs> or the people that surrounded me told me about black people or the city or the suburbs or things like that. We go with what we're taught. And so for myself, maybe I am a little more naive when I moved down here is because my dad worked in the foundry in Saginaw and had that's what he did. He had plenty of friends that were black. So we were around that. My mom had friends that were Mexican and I remember going over there and she trained dogs with them and they would their wives would make these like homemade tortillas literally from scratch. And these are things that I remember. So I think for me moving to the city I like just have this part of me that loves it so much that wants to know what people in the black community are doing, what the Asian community is doing. I go over to Ji Young's house and her mom barely, I can, I can never understand her except when <laughs> Ji Young's between English and, and Korean <laughs> and um, she busts out like sticky rice and all these like such, you know, this good stuff and just puts it out there and it doesn't matter where I come from or who I am. It's like, hey, you're here. I welcome you in. Um, I'm going to cook this really good meal for you. And so for me, it's a part of me that wants it so badly to not just for myself, but for my kids. And so sometimes I forget. I don't know how, because I wasn't raised that way, how white people look at the black community except the things that are on the TV. And I don't know what, as as you know, black women sitting here, what you were told as you know, kids growing up about the white community. And I know, Kristen, you... Well, I think I just had a different upbringing, but I think that the point that you're making is it's on us to diversify our kids, black, white, purple, orange, red. And I had a very different experience because my parents were very involved in Detroit when everyone else wasn't. You know, my parents were taking us to Belle Isle when nobody was taking their kids to Belle Isle, you know. We were going downtown all the time. We went to church at Jefferson and Chalmers in a very... And an area that most people are not bringing their three children to. Um, so I think, for me, I tend to be a little naive when it comes to Detroit. I'm shocked when I find out people don't go to Detroit. Um, I very much consider myself a Detroiter, even though I live in the suburbs, because that is where I spend a lot of my time. Um, it's a lot of places where we spend a lot of our money. If we are going out at night, we are not in the suburbs. Like We are downtown. Um, so I think it's just, and I want that for my children. Like I bring them down all the time. And when I hear women are like, oh, I won't bring my kids downtown or I won't take them to Detroit. I'm literally shocked by it because I grew up having my own parents bringing us whenever the opportunity arose itself to go downtown, we were downtown. And for us many times that was every single Sunday. So (laughs) we were spending downtown, going to church, visiting the city afterwards, you know, um, so I think it's, we put the responsibility on ourselves. I think, I mean, that's the beauty of this podcast, right? Of this group, of this community, this platform that we have. I think we are all women who are conscious, are, are at sharing our unique perspectives and getting the messaging out there. It, it, the step one is awareness. People don't know what they don't know. They only know what they know. And getting information out there on both sides of the spectrum, both with women in the city, people outside of the city, people who like to go into the city even though they don't live there, um, and bringing this type of awareness to this audience, um, affecting change, real change for you know our current generation, our children's future generation, and the way that they interact. Um, 
you know, takes action. And I think behind that action is knowledge and awareness. Going along with that point, I think that too, um, oftentimes we get carried into different circles where we have people who say, for say, you know, for whatever reason, I'm not taking my child to Detroit or, you know, I don't go down there. I'm not spending any money down there. And then I think that, you know, instead of us taking the stance, I know I've taken the stance many times of, you know, getting offended um, because I know that all Detroit has to offer and I'm from there. I've done a lot there, learned a lot. Um, it's up to us to educate other people as well. Um, I know I remember having a, not really a conversation, but in a group setting, um, hearing a young lady say, um, you know, I'm from the country, live in the country, that's where I raise my kids, that's where I go grocery shopping, that's where I work. But um, I don't venture to the city, and I'm definitely not taking my kids to the city. And when I first heard that, my first reaction was very defense mode just straight up like I don't like you because <laughs> how dare you <laughs> you know because you know I just felt like just you don't even know what's happening you didn't even got robbed yet you had your car stolen <laughs> yet like how do you know what it's going to be like you may love it you, you know you don't even know what the city has to offer but you're letting um ignorance keep you from a a, a beautiful culture experience and then it took some reflecting within myself to say you know what how often do I go to the country? You know, because I don't. I mean, kind of like what Jasmine said, you're told to, like, drive through Howell and Brighton and places like that because you're not going to be treated the same. And because of the way most um, But do you really think that you won't be? Like, oh, I know it. Yeah. That's, and, okay. Oh, yeah. No, I'm just That's asking, like, oh, okay. Been there. Well, when um, you were talking about, like, <clears throat> experience, you know, you were told. I didn't know if it was something like you experienced. Oh, I don't. Obviously, yeah. I don't go to Howell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is Jung. Um, my husband is white. We have family up north. We still can't walk. There's a difference between me walking through a Kroger up literally an hour up north versus here in the suburbs of Metro Detroit. Like, we still, and we are one of the quote unquote accepted interracial couples, right? And I still get, and it's never not, I'm, and I'm not putting this out there to say that it's always negative. But when there are communities that are, that are predominantly one race, one or, one way or the other, I think it's just human nature to see that difference visually. Well, it's what right? you know, and I think that's... Yeah. Yeah. And I think the additional layer to that that I was going to add is that coming from Detroit, Detroit, people that are from Detroit have a very unique, um, unfortunately, confrontational personality in their own way. Absolutely. It's different levels to it, but everybody in Detroit that's from Detroit pretty much will tell you how they feel Period. in some way. Because you live that way. Period. It's just part of the culture is to speak yeah. up for yourself and to hold yourself down. Yeah. So it's not even so much as to don't go to the country because of how you will be treated. It's more so because of what you're gonna, how you're going to react. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us um, in Detroit are, have not been educated on how to react in certain situations. Mm -hmm. They're educated in one specific way. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, um, that ends badly and negatively for the person who's a actual victim of the mistreatment. You know, it's interesting. I just, my husband um, is the, the prime example of that. Um, he has a very short fuse when it comes to disrespect or, you know, things of that nature. Um, just recently, um, my wonderful sister-in-law, I love her, she was in a car accident 
on Christmas Day, um, which it, it was really bad. Her car was totaled. And we weren't far behind her. And when we pulled up on the freeway, you know, my husband pulled off to the side. We jumped out of the car, and there was um, a white sheriff that was there. And he was like, where are you going? And my husband, this map, there's 16 years between my husband and his sister, and her father really wasn't there. So he looks at her as if this is one of my children. And so his, all he, he just wants to get to his sister. And um, the way the sheriff interact or state trooper, excuse me, interacted with him, it was like, no, you go get back in the car. And he's like, I just want to check on my sister. And the way he was treating him, it's that moment. I had to catch my husband. And I had to go, hey, because he started going, I will slap the, and I'm like, Kelvin, wait a minute. Yeah. And I understand it because he didn't deserve to get treated the way he did when he showed up, you know, and, but I had to grab him. I said, because it's not, you are 100% right with how you feel right now, babe, but we got kids at home and we got to get back at home and I'm not ready for you to be a hashtag because it's in those simple moments that it changes just that quick because we react. But, you know, that's just, that's a whole oh, nother podcast. Oh, yeah. But I think that, I think that's a good point to make, though, because I think even most suburbanites, you know, like people that I'm friends with, and we're, we're really comfortable going downtown. And I always have been, even as a kid. And my mom was really big on wanting to kind of, instill that us and in, into us and make us feel comfortable being in the inner city. She want she didn't want us to feel uncomfortable going downtown. Um, but I feel like so many suburban people at the same time don't know how to react to things that are happening in the city. Like my husband has a hard time, even though there's homeless people all around, like you said, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't matter where, but as we get closer to downtown, you see more and he internalizes all that and just has so much pain you know, and so he has a hard time going down for those reasons. And I think it's the suburban people have the same reaction as they don't know how to react when they're downtown or in Detroit or in the inner city because they're so used to their comfort zone. But let's be honest, you know, if you talk to any police officer in the, in the suburbs, they'll tell you they find a body, you know, every week, you know. Mm -hmm. So there's really the level of danger is no different. No, I think it's a good point. And I think that something two to think about is we're all hearing something a little bit different um, in the sense that the issues in the suburbs and the issues in the city, black and white, um, because like for for me, because I'm from the suburbs, if I would have thought, oh, because I don't think, do I think that, I don't even know how to say this. I don't think all white cops mean it that way. I do think that they're doing their job and I don't know, and I obviously can't mm -hmm. speak on this. <laughs> But for me, I would look back and be like, okay, and I can see why your husband would react that way. There's a history there mm -hmm. with how black men, mm -hmm. especially young boys, are treated by white police officers. But I would have said, okay, obviously assess the situation. Obviously, mm -hmm. somebody was in a car accident. This cop is not looking to add more people mm -hmm. to this, kind of looking at both perspectives that maybe he's not doing but it because of race. that's the reality of, of our society right now. Yeah. No, for sure. And that it is. You can't dismiss it. At the end of the day, no matter what. Out, all of those factors can, but can be there and not cannot be change. there. Oh, no, no, no. And I understand what Tiffany's reaction was, what she can control, what her husband control is their reaction. <laughs> and that's what she tried to jump at. 
but you can't diminish the fact that as a black man in this country today, you have a disadvantage. Yes, a disadvantage, a stereotype, a you know, you have to be more self-aware than any other person in that position. And you know, that particular evening, there were two, you know, there's always two cops. And both of the other cop was completely different. And I was able to talk to him. And I even took it upon myself. Was he a white cop too? He was a white cop as well. And I took it upon myself to say to him, you know, I said, thank you. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you for understanding that this is our baby sister. And our hearts are racing because we could have just lost her. And we just want to know we, she's okay. Thank you for not being, I literally, I said, I know what you do. It's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. I said, I have p- people in my family in law enforcement. So I know the risk because I think it's important when you have the opportunity to make it aware. Like, yeah. let me know. I appreciate this because when saying that to that white cop, maybe for that next moment, if he's put in this position where he's necessary, he might just be having a bad day. But then he kind of he might remember He'll be more that aware and conversation yeah. and say, you know what? Let me check myself. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's definitely two sided, you know, because it was it was a one cop gave me a horrible experience, and I wanted my little self. I'm 14, y'all. I wanted <laughs> to jump up and sock him, but at the same time, I'm looking at my husband, and I can't react because he'll react, and my husband could be gone, you know. Yeah. And so, and I know this is kind of going. And that's a whole, yeah, that's definitely a whole other conversation. Kim, do you have something to Yeah, say? I mean, the conversation's great. I think, um, so I have a lot of, <laughs> a lot of thoughts and a lot of experiences, some similar, some, um, you know, unique to this group. So I have a multicultural family. Uh, my daughter was born in Ethiopia and my son was born in Guatemala. I'm Caucasian. Um, I've done a lot of international travel. I've done a lot of domestic travel. I mean, I think every single thing that people have mentioned here, there's uh, truth and validity in all of it. I think that having conversations like this, even when they are uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. is ultimately what will move us forward and hopefully um, encourage additional conversations to take place instead of, you know, beyond just the uh, eight or so women in this room right now. So... um, you know, I've been on all sides of it. Having a, a multicultural family, um, I've I've been looked at, I've been talked to, I've been criticized. My children have. Uh, my daughter's not black enough because she's actually not African American. She's just African. You know, she's got some idea. Absolutely. So you know, there's some identity crisis in that. Um, I'm the white mom who's trying to uh, air quotes here save children of color. Uh, clearly not the case whatsoever. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's lots of thoughts. And I think, you know, one of the words that I think almost everyone has said here is, you know, how do you react? And one of the things that I work very consciously um, with my children, with me, is that we don't react and we allow ourselves the time, albeit three seconds, 30 seconds, three minutes, three days, <laughs> whatever is appropriate, to actually respond And I think once we can start getting into that mindset, you know, there's a lot of um, different verbal attacks that I've encountered with my children that, you know, I could have handled a multiple way of of just multiple ways. And not to say that I always um, 
respond appropriately, the longer I've been doing it, the better I get, right? And I think having these conversations, they're really important. Um, also doing a lot of international travel in developing countries. I've lived in developing countries. Um, I've also lived in, or, you know, yes, I have lived in countries that were not developing countries, first world. Um, race is not a thing. So, you know, or not as much of a thing as it here, is here in the U.S. And so my perspective sometimes, you know, it, it's good for me to check myself. It's good for me to have these conversations with Monique and Tiffany and Jasmine and, and everybody, right? Because my perspective sometimes when I go into the city, it's, it's the city. It's 10 minutes from where I live. I'm going to socialize and hang out. And honestly, I'm going to give a woman you know, in downtown Detroit who needs a pair of shoes, shoes literally off of my feet. I have. And I'm also going to do that in Royal Oak because there's also homelessness in Royal Oak. Yeah. And I walk by with my children, you know, and buy them pizza. Is it solving the problem? Of course, like none of it's solving the problem, guys. Right? So we just have these conversations. We're aware. We try to stop reacting. We try to allow ourselves time to respond. Um, and, you know, maybe not take things this is a double-edged sword, so personal, and I get it, because sometimes it just is personal, mm -hmm. but to not take it personal, because every single, like, we don't know, no one here actually knows my upbringing and my story, and if I shared some real facts with you, you guys might be like, wow, <laughs> is, is that for real? And it's like, it is for real, and so the point is, we don't know other people's backgrounds, we don't know their stories. Kristen, you're very white, <laughs> <laughs> right so without your you know taking story. the time to share the story i'm not going to naturally assume that you all but you know were raised weekly in the city of detroit right because we're going to make those assumptions mm -hmm. right i'm going to look at you monique and i'll make an assumption i don't have one right now but you, you know <laughs> what i mean like they come to us yeah. they yeah. do it for everybody and i think that um divides us more so than ever especially you know it's, I just had this conversation, I was just in Florida, and I had a conversation with um, a very good friend of mine, she's Latina, and she was like, these conversations are actually continuing the divide, right? Because it's escalating. It's escalating it to the point where now people are getting really upset. Hyper-defensive. Hyper-defensive. And it's like, sure, but when have you ever looked at a pendulum, right, and taken it from like an extreme right? Right and swung it, and it stopped perfectly in the center. Exactly. Right? So I think we're just in this pendulum of time right now, of discussion of race, of discussion of divide. Um, I hope, I, I pray we get to the middle. I think we will get to the middle, and I think it's these conversations that are going to get us to the middle eventually. I mean, this is my, like, rainbows and butterflies. Let's button it up with, like, a nice little bow on top of this very necessary <laughs> but sometimes very difficult conversation is that... I think, I think always difficult conversation. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Right. But as moms, what is like the number one thing? My preschooler came home from school one day and said, Oma, I learned this at school today. It's to be kind, right? And it's something that we sit there and put out on our social media and, you know, to our friends and family that we are being great moms, teaching our children to be kind. And it's so stupidly simple, but at the same time, I think as adults who face these, you know, personal experiences day in and day out, it's that 
we don't practice it. We don't practice it in our own lives and relationships. And at the end of the day, you know, this difficult conversation about race or whatever differences that, you know, does create divide between people and between relationships. I think that's what adults forget to do. Yeah, I think is to lead kindness, with kindness, kindness and openness. and or love. I mean, that's a foundational <coughs> truth. That is a foundational truth. That is nothing new, right? We that's age old and whatever situation and evolution or difficult conversation, whether it be race, whether I mean, it changes. That's topic changes over time. So we can look at history. And if we're here in another 200 years, we're going to be able to take a look at that and say, oh, yeah, this isn't the conversation anymore. But what's the foundational truth? And kindness and love, that's definitely one of them. Having open eyes to be able to look at yourself with intention and to be able to see other people with clarity, that's a foundational truth. Another is education and, you know, valuing and respect. That's a foundational truth. And then taking action, right? So it's like, I think that it's so great that the school is constantly reminding, and I think as adults, you're absolutely right, Jane. We have to constantly remind ourselves and practice those foundational truths. Can I say, and just an extension of what Jane was saying about being kind is what I've gotten from this conversation from this group in general personal experience is the extension of taking that kindness into relationships yes. and building relationships. Um, being transparent for anyone that's listening to this conversation, this topic was a lot more spicy the first couple of times we talked about it <laughs> Absolutely. right we've talked about this this diversity topic this is probably I think the third or fourth go around in some shape or form personal phone calls sex messages all of that the more to your friend's point the more that we talk about it but also hear each other like really hear the feedback hear the approach what it's happened to personal stories the less my spiciness starts to go down, right? Because I understand the intention in the conversation. I understand more of the personal background story. And I think the kindness added on to the next evolution for us, for what we should be telling our children, beyond being kind is building that relationship. And if we did not have the relationships with our own communities, <laughs> branching out to different communities, or just within ourselves, it would be a totally different conversation. So for anyone that's listening that may not venture to different areas that they've never been to, the encouragement, and I think back to your point, Elizabeth, of what is the responsibility of Detroit moms mm -hmm. is not to stop gentrification. You know, it's not to save Detroit. It's not because Detroit is on the tagline that that means that we have to do everything to fix this problem. I feel like for me and the reason that I'm still a part and the reason that I believe in what you're trying to do, Detroit mom's responsibility is to, or I guess mission, is to build those relationships. And through those relationships, a lot of these barriers and issues that we're talking about, I think can be better, not solved, yeah. just better. Like well, that's, that's my ending. Well, when Kim said, you know, your friend said it's making it worse. At the end of the day, we can't change the masses. What we can change is right here. Absolutely. The people that we directly affect, our children, what we say to them is how they will grow up. And when they come to us and say something that a friend said or your child comes home and says, I, I have this really great friend and I'm like, oh, who is she? She goes, my brown friend. Being able to redirect in the conversation and not always be black versus white. But then when you sit there, you're like, well, how else did I expect my child to explain explain which friend she's talking about, you know, mm -hmm. because it's not like she could say the blonde haired friend or the, the dark haired friend, you know, there's so many things, but 
taking that and being like, how can we be better and better explain that? But I know with Detroit Mom, I'm not going to affect everybody. Not everybody's going to love what we have to say. Not everybody's going to love that I want to affect change or I want us to be a community that has every different, that's very multicultural, that Mm -hmm. is giving the experience. Um, I know everybody's not going to like that. And it took a while to get there, but I also want my kids to grow up with black community or, you know, being around black communities, Asian communities, all these different things. And um, I want to be invited if anyone wants to invite me to a <laughs> black Christmas, because I hear you guys just kill it with the food. And that's like, you know, there's stuff like that. We can learn things from each other because I know we joke about it. I know, Jasmine, you've you've said things. Your friends are like, oh, you're hanging out with that white girl too much from Detroit mom um, when you say specific things. But at the end of the day, I don't think it has anything to do with that. We are, we are here because we want it to be different. Because if you, Monique, if you wouldn't have met me, would you have ever applied to Detroit mom? Exactly. (laughs) And it probably would have been like, oh, this white girl, you know, and and maybe you didn't think that, but maybe at the time or Tiffany, you know, there are things that I think if we sat back, we're like, well, the reason I applied actually is I, I think that we all have this part, you know, especially coming from different backgrounds, Mm -hmm. black, Asian, white, that we want to know about each other. We just don't know how to ask the question. We mm-hmm. don't want to be offensive. We don't know how to be a part of each other's lives well, because because mm-hmm. it's different. And to that point, some people don't know how to receive those questions. And answer them. And answer them <coughs> respectfully Absolutely. or assuming good intent. Yeah. Right? So everyone in this room, we all have good intent. Well, now if you're talking to someone you've never met before and they're of a different ethnicity, culture, race, whatever, and you innocently, curiously ask a question with good intent, how can we all say, I'm going to receive that with good intent? I'm not taking offense because let me say, you know, I've been asked some pretty, pretty (laughs) challenging questions, right? And I have to decide pretty quickly, is is it with good intent? And I'm going to say 95% of the times it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are a handful of times though where it's not. And then you, you have the ability then in that case to just not take your time to educate them. And I will say, um, and this is my experience as a minority, I've talked to other friends of other women of color, um, white women in general, I understand your pause a little bit more in the sense that, yes, you being a majority, you being a white woman puts you at a disadvantage when it comes to asking questions, not immediately met with defense. Um, Mm -hmm. Because we have that as a commonality, right? Me Mm -hmm. and another friend, a woman of color, we know at first glance that we are both minorities. And so I have talked. You have an instant connection. Yes. I have, you know, outwardly spoken about other minority women who say that, yes, even without words being spoken, you know, stranger to stranger meeting, there is an unspoken connection that I guess opens that door to communication. like motherhood. A Mm -hmm. lot Mm -hmm. easier, right? So I get that um, pause on your, like, you know, stepping to be active and wanting to ask questions, asking to, wanting to ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other side of it, we all want to, you know, speak our stories, tell our stories. And, you know, on both ends, if we can come with that openness and that kindness of wanting to learn versus that defensive, I guess, mm-hmm. communication method that we kind of, you know, instinctually lean towards, um, 
I think that's what this platform is here for. Like, I mean, like Jasmine said, with every time that we have talked about this conversation, it has quieted down in the sense that our walls that we came in here with are are being broken down as we learn more, as we hear stories, as we connect, as we build relationships. But I also think that the language over those conversations, um, it's softened as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? So some things that were maybe addressed pretty harshly created a more harshly response, right? Mm -hmm. And so now it's like, you know, just like you were saying, Monique, you know, giving yourself that uh, after the country comment of going to the country, it took you a few days to think about that, right? And I think we've all had this opportunity with diversity now Mm -hmm. and this topic specifically where we've had lots of days in between where we're like, I get it. Understand. I can see. I get yeah. it. That that's making more sense to me. But you took and the time and said that. Like you took the time yes. to come back and say, you know, I just want to tell you, I really thought about that comment. And she's right. <laughs> I don't go to the country. You know, I think it takes a lot to admit whether you're black or you're white to be like, gosh, I shouldn't have reacted like that. I should have thought about it. Or, you know, at the end of the day, what can we do differently? Invite someone that doesn't look like you to the table. Yeah. To, yes, sure. to, to, coffee to dinner you know let your kids see that your household is just not made up of white people inviting white people over or brown yeah yeah inviting you know know, different yeah having different foods you know talking about that educating them and you know or having like a black family over and you guys are each bringing a dish and like things like that like i love the macaroni Mm -hmm. and cheese there are certain things but I will say that a white person's macaroni and cheese is nothing like a black person's. Like, For sure. you know what I'm saying? Like, it is it is totally different. And I've had it different ways working at the hospital. That was like their signature dish bringing in when we had potlucks. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, these all taste different. Someone would add like jalapenos would be different things. And I'm not saying that white people can't do that. But that's something you guys are so good at. You know, you talk about I, I honestly have never had really good greens. Well, you need to come when white people somehow. try to make them, it's not the same. Um, but, you know, there are things like that. I want my kids to experience that stuff. And, you know, I got a question for you, yeah. Elizabeth. Um, and, you know, I know we're kind of reeling it in now. What going forward? Because I know your heart for Detroit Mom. And I think everyone at this table knows what you want to see. Um but I also know that you get hit pretty hard. You know, I mean, we've had 6 a.m. conversations, you know. I've cried a lot. And yes. And you Monique's know, come to my rescue at Starbucks listen, the time or two. Talking you off the wall, like ignore them. Yeah. You know, don't let it get to you. What do you want people to know? Or I'm just trying to think, like, what is that? What is the stance you want to take? for Detroit mom to say, this is what I want. I know I came in and I took on a name that is very held close to the heart by many people. And a lot of my people are colored, but I'm a white woman. What do I want you to know? Well, the thing is though, so for me, I saw a need, right? Mm -hmm. I saw that there were so many people that wanted community. And to me at the time, it didn't matter whether I was black or white or the city was made up of strictly, you know, I worked in the city and I was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, because at the end of the day, if I called it Metro Detroit mom, I'm never going to get Detroit proper women to apply. Mm -hmm. So no matter how I put it, I, I, 
what's the term you like dandy i mean you do if you don't want to like, be inclusive yeah i want it to be where we're, when we all go somewhere we're not saying the specific suburb we live in we're saying i am detroit and i am proud to be a part of this community whether i live in detroit proper or i live in the suburbs I'm proud of the people that I've met, the women that um, have come to Detroit Mom that I've learned stuff from, from you guys that have, you know, given us the opportunity to sit here and have this conversation. And I hope when we have another round of applications go up that more black women from the city are applying so we can get those issues out there on our platform and we can bring more women to the table and we can have us all together where people can see other people's intentions that we're not it's not just the white women in the suburbs and the the black women in the city and i'm you know i mean detroit mom is part of a national network right so i mean so my take on it was obviously not to diminish the fact that like yes there's absolutely a difference of detroit city residents um but as part of this bigger national network who creates community i think um, by default, I guess you could say is that Detroit was the most inclusive of the area it was, because yeah. it isn't just our, you know, in our small circle, our community within Detroit or Metro Detroit, but also as represent- re- representatives to this national network of moms and women Yeah, that, you know, people, like you said previously, like if you said Farmington Hills mom, would they ever know <laughs> that any of us were from Michigan? Well, that's absolutely okay. not. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I saw I, it from that. I, I guess yeah. as a brand or labeling standpoint, I did see the bigger um, ramifications of you being it, more inclusive. And to be quite honest, I didn't realize what kind of separation it brought with it when I made the decision. And obviously over time, I, I know that now. And I want to be a part, knowing that I will not completely affect change, but I want to be a part of it. And I want to give other white women who maybe are like someone else is like, I don't know what to say, or I don't know how to, you know, be friends with a black woman, which is so crazy to me because it's really no different. The, the differences that we share are our skin color, we, you know, maybe our hair, things like that. But other, you know, maybe some issues or things like that. But I think if we came together, we could find a lot more commonalities than we could differences between each other. And I think that's, I want, I want to bring the education from not just the people in the suburb, but from the people in the city who live in the city for the sake of our kids. Like we're responsible for how the next generation reacts. We're responsible for not raising little tiny a-holes realistically we are responsible for that and i don't know about you but i don't want my kids to grow up with just white people and i don't know if you guys you know i I want to be able for my kids there to just not see that difference or or see it and appreciate it and appreciate you know like how you guys feel about you know the city of how it was or on the businesses that were there maybe that aren't there have been you know relocated but educating them on those things and so to answer your question, I'm hoping that people walk away listening to this saying, yeah, they do want to be more inclusive or they they are inclusive and they're trying to be inclusive. But I seek out, I'll seek out, like Monique didn't apply. I met her um, at LinkedIn, at, at a, yeah. And I was, I just heard her story and I thought it was so great. And I was like, you know, do you like to write? And then we started talking about, same with Jasmine, her and I, you know, had met out and about. And 
I know that I have to act actively at this point with Detroit Moms seek out black women. It is very rare. But now you've Obama already did apply, I, though. You've already <laughs> grown your circle. Yeah. And now yeah. you have these resources and avenues and relationships and friendships to reach out to those communities that yeah. you might not have had a year ago. Well, and that's the thing is to ask, you know, to ask you guys, because Robin, who runs Motor City Woman, she actually applied and I did not know Robin previously. So you applied even though I was white. Um, so <laughs> I, so just saying like there, that's kind of the thing at the end of the day. I want women, black, Asian, whatever to apply because they want to be a part of an inclusive community, not because I'm... I own Detroit mom and I'm a white mom, so only white women are going to apply. So, thank I would, you for I asking would, that question. I would, I would just like to encourage like the women that are listening to this. Um, obviously, we are a small sect of women who put ourselves out there to be a part of this community and to be these different voices so that you can hear different perspectives. Hopefully, you find your voice among one of us. Um, but I would like to encourage specifically to this conversation that um, you look at yourself. And look at the ways, and not just about race in general, whether it's as a woman, as a mother. Um, I would like, I think all of us would like to encourage you to look at yourself and see what growth or how the ways that you want to evolve as a human being. Um, and I think thinking about that more consciously helps all conversations and all relationships in your life, including very important ones like this one, since we've obviously talked about it several times. Um, so I would like to put that encouragement out there. I love that. And if you guys have anything, uh, you know, if you're listening and you have questions regarding this or you want to hear a topic, reach out to us. Um, make sure you subscribe to our channel and make sure you rate and review us. But if you have something specific, please reach out. We love hearing from you. Thanks for listening along, guys.